Welcome to Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Dave, let's get right to it. All right, well, looking ahead to 2024, given that President Biden, according to the American people and all the polls, uh, he's not doing a great job, don't you think it might be smart for Democrats to put up a different candidate for 2024? I'm thinking possibly an actual moderate. Instead of what we're getting right now with Biden, it's a weak, pushed around Trojan horse who's become this poster child, a vessel for the hardest left policies. What do you think? Well, before I answer the question, or I should say, respond to the statement, let me say that uh, Biden has achieved some some things. Uh, Certainly, he's achieved a lot more legislatively than than his predecessor. And he has not he's not associated with the hard left policies such as uh, defund the police and a lot of other ones. Uh, That's more the AOC Corey Bush territory. So I still think he is moderate. But he did. He did try partner. to put an executive order to oh, well, defund the police. Anyway, but. I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to argue about it. But, but anyway. So, so I think as far as twenty twenty four goes, the answer is yes. I think he should not run again, and I think he should tell people and tell the country as soon as possible that he's not going to run again. And there are several reasons for this. First of all, obviously, the earlier he makes that announcement, the sooner it'll free up people to start running their campaigns, making the calls, laying the groundwork, getting the infrastructure ready. And secondly, I'm going to be a little all contraire here, but I think actually people say, oh, he's going to be a lame duck. He's not going to be able to do as much. I disagree. I think the fact that he's announcing that he's not going to run again is going to free him up to do what he wants to do and to really be aggressive and to pursue the policies he thinks are best for the country, and frankly, that might give his bring his approval rating up, though his approval rating is about what Obama's was and what George W. Bush's was and what Bill Clinton's was at the same point in their presidency. So it's certainly not lost. They were all in the low to mid 40s, which is where he is. But more importantly, okay, who should run? Okay, I really think that definitely you want someone who is a governor. Governors make the best presidents, okay? Uh, Congressmen do not make very good presidents. People that say they're businessmen, like our previous president who ended up being the worst president in history, certainly don't make make very good presidents. My choice would be Andy Beshear, governor of Kentucky, or Roy Cooper, governor of North Carolina. I think they both have proven they can govern effectively in a red and a purple state. They've worked with legislators, legislatures controlled by the other party, and they have good, solid approval ratings. And Roy Cooper was reelected, and I think Andy Bashir will also be reelected. So that's what I'd like to see. If you want someone who's more mainstream who or more well-known, I should say, I would say Amy Klobuchar would be the person. I think Biden should have picked her as his vice president. Definitely not Kamala. I think we both agree she's a disaster. And definitely not a real progressive person like another Elizabeth Warren. Sanders, thank God, I think is too old. And I just want to make one more comment on this whole age thing. I am so sick and tired of people being too old. Trump is too old. He can't remember the candidates that he endorsed. Biden is too old. He he is a, he looks like a fossil sometimes, okay? And you look at Nancy Pelosi is over 81. Mitch McConnell is almost is is almost 80. 
you know, and Chuck Rassley is running for re-election at 88. Dianne Feinstein is 88. She can't remember things. Let's have a rule. You can't be elected to national office if you're over 80. Anyway, your, your thoughts, please. Well, Dave, yeah, I, I agree with you that, uh, but I think the answer though is a cognitive test. I think that there are some people who are over 80 who are much sharper than people who are much younger than them and that a cognitive test would be the way to solve for that and that Joe Biden should take a cognitive test. I, I do think that he should. Um, and Donald Trump has taken a cognitive test and uh, has shown that he's much sharper. So, uh, but the fact that there is no constitutional amendment on age I think that you're going to be hard pressed that uh, the Constitution does not put an age cap. And I do not think that those people in Congress are going to put that cap on. It's kind of wishful thinking in that result. One can only uh, hope. But, yeah. But uh, and then as far as what you're saying about, uh, you know, being who he really was uh, or who he you know used to be. Yeah, really Biden, because I think that that's a very interesting and that I think that there might be some truth to that uh, if Biden were to actually uh, be who he used to be and the, the principles he used to hold. For example, uh, he used to support a ban on uh, abortion and he used to say that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. Um, and he also used to be much more supportive of law enforcement instead of trying to issue an executive order to reshuffle funding, which is the same thing as defunding. You can call it whatever you want, but he used to be that person. So he might be. And I think that Barack Obama is someone who would agree with that because uh, basically when he uh, colluded, shall we say, with the Russians, he said, to Medvedev, um, yeah, I'm going to have a lot more flexibility when I don't have to run for office again. So I, I think there's some truth to what you're saying, Dave. Well, I have to laugh when when uh, anyone who supports Trump, who is Putin's puppet, talks about colluding with Russia. It makes me laugh. But but I will say that uh, I think it, I think it would be very it would be very good for the country. And I do think we need to get some fresh blood up. And, the you know, again, the Demo same thing with the Republicans. You look at someone like Charlie Baker, you look at someone like Larry Hogan, they have very high approval rates as Republican governors in very blue states. So those are the kind of people I would like to see for run for president. But unfortunately, uh, I may win the Boston Marathon before one of them gets, gets the nomination. Well, but, anyway, <laughs> but Carrie, here's my question for you. And that is, as we all know, there was a leaked Supreme Court memo from Samuel Alito where they're talking about overturning Roe versus Wade. Now, you and I have talked about this, and I have said, just to be fair and for full disclosure, I'm pro-choice, but I think Roe versus Wade was a terrible decision. I think liberals try to legislate through courts, and when major policy is decided by what is essentially ju judicial fiat, people think that they haven't been heard. And for all of the flaws of the legislative process, people feel they've been heard and that they have recourse. But there is 50 years of precedent. And in 1992, three Republican appointed justices, Sandra Day O'Connor, David Souter, and Anthony Kennedy said, yes, we don't agree with Roe, but we should leave it in because there's so much precedent. So my question for you is, do you think Roe versus Wade should be overturned? This, despite whatever the ramifications may be, and what do you think, if it is overturned, what's going to happen? How would you like to see it play out? Yeah, well, uh, so we agree that it was wrongly decided. And so me personally, this is me personally speaking for myself, I do believe that Roe v. Wade should be overturned. And the fact of the matter is that 
uh, you know, it's been around almost 50 years, but for 200 years before that, we had 200 years of precedence to not acknowledge some supposed right to abortion. There's there's no mention of the word or description of abortion in, in the Constitution. And in fact, the Hippocratic Oath, the original Hippocratic Oath before it was distorted, um, explicitly says, as a physician, I will not perform an abortion um, because they know that the Hippocratic intention is to do no harm. And so for me, abortion is harm. I'm pro-life. Um, and I think that precedence, just because something is there doesn't mean it's right. Uh, Bro Brown versus Board of Education allowing discrimination in school is separate but equal. That's wrong. That was a precedent. Uh, the Dred Scott decision, which said that, that the Constitution was not meant to include American citizenship for people of African descent. That was precedent. You think Brown versus Board of Education so, was a bad decision? No, I'm, I'm saying the precedent, the precedent that... Uh, basically allowed for it to discriminate in the, in the past. Um, so precedent had to be overturned. So the fact that the, uh, you know, something is precedent doesn't make it right. Um, and so in this case with, with abortion, precedence does not mean that it's right or that it's constitutional. Um, and so, and then the, also we know so much more about genetics today than we knew about them in 1973 when Roe was decided. We know that immediately upon conception, 100% of the genetic components are present. So we're talking about two completely separate bodies. So when people say, you know, it's a woman's body, well, the state has an interest when there is a second body, i.e. the child's body at stake. And so it's two separate things. And so we have to look at them from a judicial lens of two separate individuals. And so I know, and as far as Joe Biden is concerned, I think he's shown weakness. And the, the truth is that the federal code explicitly says you are not allowed to go to the home of a judge or juror before a case has been decided and try to pressure them. You are not allowed to harass them. And so Biden, by not stepping up and enforcing the federal code, he's showing weakness. We saw an abortion or a pro-life uh, group was attacked and assaulted by a Molotov cocktail over the weekend. Biden has said nothing about that. So I just think that Biden's a hypocrite. And because you know he said he was going to restore the soul of the country, there's nothing like restoring the soul of the country, like demanding that abortion on demand up to the moment of birth. That's such a hypocrisy. It puts us in, the, in the, the category of a place like China and North Korea. There are so few countries. Europe is actually much more pro-life than we are today. And I think that we should follow their lead uh, and to have a conscience. First of all, the, the, that's just simply inaccurate. There's not abortion up until the time of birth. And I, I would say abortion is, is, is traumatic for every woman who goes through it. Nobody is pro-abortion, okay? There may be some people who are pro-life, some people are pro-choice. About 60% of the country favors abortion in the first trimester, uh, about, but, it, but only 30% uh, of the country favors abortions in all trimester in all trimesters. And so you are someone who is, as I understand it, is not just pro-life, but also does not favor an exception in the case of rape or incest or for the health of the mother. And that that's is not true. That's not what I said. I said in the health of the mother, if there, which are very few cases, actually, when, when the mother's life is at stake, I do think there are some cases where nothing can be done. That's that life, but not health. There, yes. That's a subtle but important difference. But anyway, the point is, that's something that, that fewer than 20% of the American public supports. And to me, if someone is violated, so again, you are telling me if you had a daughter who was raped, you would force her to have that child. 
I would support her through it so that she wouldn't be re-traumatized and so that the violence committed against her would not be visited on the violence of my grandchild. So, and, and the fact that 80% of the country do, doesn't support it doesn't make it right. I mean, there was, a, there was a time in our country where slavery was so accepted and where, uh, you know, discriminating and, and uh, eugenics was accepted. And, and we don't believe that today. And so I think that that's progress. Yeah. Well, I, I think, again, if someone is violated, to force them to put the to put the rights of a fetus over the rights of a woman who's been violated, I don't think it's in the same league. And by the way, I just want to point out, you and I approach this from a different point of view. You view it through the point of re religion. Re religion no, actually, I don't. Actually, I don't. I don't. Nope, I don't. Hold on, hold um, actually, on, Dave, on. you're putting words in my mouth, actually, because when I was agnostic for 12 years, I was pro-life the entire time. Again, okay. to me, this is this is about ethics and science. And I know lots of uh, libertarians who are secular people who are pro-life as well. At the end of the day, uh, it is uh, not committing violence against a child because the violence was committed against an adult. And well, and I view it. I view it from the point is you have the rights of there's the, the fetus and then there's the mother. OK, it's and it's the lesser of evils. Again, no one is pro abortion, but I that's believe that when, when you get to 22 weeks, that's typical of point, the point of viability. And as you mentioned, a lot of European countries have restrictions after 20 weeks. That's something I support. That's something that most Americans support. But that's when you have a fetus becoming more of a real person, okay? So I think it's not just from conception. That's where you and I disagree. So my so my point is, the other thing is that so many conservatives, they care so much, so much about babies until they're born. And you have so many people who are saying they're pro-life, but then are cutting infant nutrition programs which I just think is incredibly hypocritical. But I've said before that this is political suicide. Not, and the main reason is for the GOP, because the main reason is so many people, okay, in the Republican Party have been able to have their cake and eat it too. They can say they're pro-life, but they don't have to be accountable, right? It's the old thing in politics that Bob Dole said so well, you can never go wrong by voting for a bill that fails or against a bill that passes, right? And so that's really what these people who have been pro-life, and by the way, a lot of them are more pro-lifestyle. Remember Bob Barr, that conservative congressman, he paid for his estranged girlfriend to have an abortion. Dan Quayle said, well, if it was my daughter, well then maybe I would let her. So I think people tend to be more pro-lifestyle than pro-life, but I believe that having to be accountable for a position now when all of a sudden, what's been the law of the land for 50 years has changed, and the Constitution doesn't guarantee birth control, it doesn't guarantee a lot of things. So where do you stop? This, this could be a slippery slope, and I think a lot of women are aware, well aware of that, and this could be about the only thing that could galvanize the, the Democrats and save them in the midterms. I'll give you the final word. Sure. Well, first of all, Alito expressly said in his ruling, this has nothing to do with any other case. This has nothing to do with birth control. This has nothing to do with gay marriage. This has nothing to do with any other case. This is just this. So I don't mind out here. said that he wasn't going to overturn Roe versus Wade. So what? People, you know, people No, he said it was precedent. He didn't say he wouldn't overturn. He said it was precedent. And that's true. It was precedent. Okay. Well, uh, no, I disagree. But anyway, all right. <laughs> Fire away with your second question. All right. So... Well, okay, Dave, I know we've been talking about this for a while and I were, uh, you know, 
Federal Reserve just said that they are going to raise interest rates in response to inflation. So my question to you, since we've been talking about this for such a long time, will you finally acknowledge that inflation is not just temporary and based on supply chain issues? No. Well, what I what I said was that when it, I believe that it was not permanent, but it wasn't transitory. I said last year that it was that I believed it was transitory. But then when the supply chain issues came up and when there was uh, all kinds of issues going on, now you have the perfect storm. You not only have the war in Ukraine, but you also have China, which with this with with its ridiculous lockdown policy is causing more supply chain disruptions. So yes, I do I think inflation is going to be like it was in the 70s and early 80s? No. Do I think it is more than transitory? Uh, yes. So I, I have changed my view and I have admitted it. Now, I don't think there's much. I don't believe that much of it is Biden's fault. I do believe that there was a little too much money pumped into the economy, but I don't believe I'd say that's 10 or 20 percent of what of what caused it. I think a lot of it is just that there's too much money chasing too few goods and too few services. And a lot of that is COVID. You know, you just look, try to get a decent hotel room in a place like L.A. now. It's ridiculously expensive. You know, try to get seats on flights in all areas of the economy. People have pent up demand. So that's that's the main reason. But I but I did change my tune, as I always do. I will I will admit when I uh, when I didn't give it the totally accurate read in the, in, on the first call. So, yes. Uh, do I think it's going to be here here for a long time? No, I think by I think by the election, it'll be down. And I think by next year, it'll be it'll be back under four percent. So, as you would say, from from uh, from uh, my lips to uh, God's ears, I hope that's true. <laughs> my question for you is we we've talked about candidates and you had you had sent me an email about Herschel Walker saying how we believe in forgiveness and he's admitted he, he has personality disorders and all that. But it gets back to a point, which is my question. Do you really think if someone has a personality disorder, which they admit that they are qualified to run for the Senate? I mean, that is that is a disability. I mean, by those by that stretch, do you think somebody with Down syndrome? Do you think somebody with autism? Uh, should they be allowed to run for the Senate? And the second thing is, that's point number one. Or point number two is, do you believe that someone should at least try to prepare for the job and try to expose them to the public, to do debates, to try to, to learn the issues? Herschel Walker has done none of that, and yet you're still supporting him. Well, I reject any notion that someone who has been to treatment and is managing their mental illness should not seek public office. I completely reject that. I think he says, he's, Walker, he, says he still has it. He no, says but it's, it's still it, But no, but it's treated. That's the difference. If you're getting treatment, if you're getting counseling, if you're getting medication, he wrote an entire book about his struggle and his treatment of it. And so he's not committing violence. He admitted the violence against his wife was due to that. And people who are have untreated mental illness, uh, you know, they need treatment. And so the fact that the U.S. Army, I sent you a profile of Herschel Walker written by our U.S. Army, the federal U.S. Army, profiling his journey and his ability to treat that mental illness, then I think you should be able to run. George W. Bush, he went to rehab uh, because he had an alcohol problem. 
problem. That was an addiction. People can, and that's a type of, you know, stem cell in very often from mental illness. The fact that you're having an addiction, you, that can be treated. And if you, if you have uh, autism, there's so many people in uh, Silicon Valley who have autism, they're high functioning autism. So I think it should be about the candidate. And then uh, as far as the debates, I, I think what the RNC did was right to pull out from the debate commission for their, uh, for their, uh, GOP nominating process because it became so unfair, so unfair. If you look at how Candy Crowley treated uh, Mitt Romney, she was totally wrong and he was right and she kept pushing and pushing and finally he's a gentleman so he didn't, he was like, okay, fine, but it made him look like he was wrong and it was a disgrace. And so it it happens, all these moderate moderators are so biased. Um, and so I think if Herschel Walker be believes that the process is rigged and unfair and not gonna treat him fairly, then I think it might make sense. But I do agree he should hold town halls. He should be answering questions. I agree with that. Well, first of all, George George W. Bush didn't go to rehab. He he stopped drinking at the age of 40 on, on, on his own. Um, and secondly, Herschel Walker has been accused of acts of violence since he's had his treatment. So uh, that 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 is, that is his supposed treatment, or what he says is his treatment. There have been incidences of violence. There have been incidences of, you know, lying about assets, about uh, not paying loans, just really dishonest behavior. So. I haven't seen any evidence that his apparent treatment has cured that. Well, as you as you and I both know, people like to make up accusations in politics quite a bit. Well, but 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 the bottom line is there there's no indication that any of the behavioral issues that he had before have changed since his alleged treatment. That's the bottom line. Well, okay? are you a doctor? And so, and so I and are and you his therapist? Part, part I'm just based on when he had the treatment and based on on when he did it. But the, the, as far as the debates go, if you have to go back to 2012 to find no, uh, it, an example, that's just one of, example. Of, hold on, hold on, a media bias that, I, that, that shows that you have to, to, to dig pretty deep. I think overall the- Well, okay, the, it happened the, in 2020 the and 2016 been, too. On, the debates have been pretty fair. And I think, again, people will certainly acknowledge that Donald Trump did himself in in the 19, in the two, 2020 debates and that uh, Kristen Welker was incredibly fair. And he even Trump even went up after the debate and thanked her for what he said was a very impartial, fair job. So uh, that argument doesn't wash either. But the bottom line is, it's this idea of I'm glad you're acknowledging that, that he should at least make public appearances because if someone's running for office, they and particularly when you're as ignorant as, as he is, he's made no effort to learn anything about the issues. As I said, he said that John Lewis was the greatest black senator ever when we all know he's a congressman. I mean, that is an incredibly ignorant thing to say. So I just think he's 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 highly unqualified and he's dangerous in terms of his behavior. But people love him in Georgia, so he's going to get the nomination. Uh, I think it'll be a very close race. I think he'll I think he'll implode and Warnock will win, but people in Georgia love him. We'll see. Well, Dave, I mentioned the 2012 example for you specifically because I knew my audience because I knew you like Mitt Romney, but because I could say the 16 and 2020, but you won't agree with me. I thought that Chris Wallace did a terrible job in 2020. He was so biased. It was two on one. He was helping him. He was doing everything he could to help Joe Biden, uh, just as the whole press was uh, trying to do everything they could well, to help circle crop again, Chris, Joe Biden. Chris, so. Chris Wallace was uh, he, he was accused of being biased towards Trump in the 2016 debates. 
So I think he's a very impartial guy. But again, the second debate, which was the more instructive one, because Trump really self-destructed in the first one when he, you know, tall told the Oath Keepers to stand tall and stand proud, and you know he wouldn't d disavow a lot of things. It was the second debate with Kristen Welker where he felt thought it was very impartial. So, but anyway, we'll maybe just agree to disagree on that one. Well, another robust, but as always, respectful debate. Carrie, it's always a pleasure. This has been another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. We'll see you next time.